Hey, how you doing? My name is Nolan. I'm from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are the world's number one automotive podcast. That's right. We're a storytelling show. This week, it's part three of our history of Mazda. Last week, we talked about the rotary engine and how they started a little bit of racing. This week, they got a lot more serious with it. They needed to make a big splash in the world stage. They decided to go to Le Mans over there in France and prove that they could keep up with the Europeans and the Americans. They did have a hard time with it, though. It's very intriguing. The rotary engine we talked about last week had some challenges. This is for the real Mazda heads and anybody who's curious about automotive history in general. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Pass gas. I'll see you there. Nineteen eighty nine. The first episode of Seinfeld had just aired. Game Boys were flying off the shelves, and the Berlin Wall was about to fall. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. But for car enthusiasts everywhere, nineteen eighty nine will be remembered for something even bigger. Or smaller. It was the year that the Mazda MX five was released in the United States. In Santa Monica, a customer with a briefcase stuffed with $25,000 rolled up to Kramer Mazda to offer $7,000 above the ticket price. In Fort Lauderdale, a German tourist bought one Miata and ordered two more for later. A lawyer in Detroit, moments from leaving for a family vacation, told his wife and kids to hold up. His Miata had finally come in and he had to pick it up. He was so excited to get the car. He brought the dealership a bottle of champagne. The world had its first case of Miata madness, and it was contagious. But how did the Miata become one of the most beloved two-seaters of all time? Who are the people who brought it to life? And how did a Japanese company end up making the ideal British roadster? Today on Past Gas, it's the origin story of the Mazda Miata. That German guy orders Miatas like I order hamburgers. <laughs> Two for later, baby. Do you guys like Miatas? Yeah, big time. I was actually just looking at Craigslist for some yesterday. You're at you're on Craigslist parking place, place, looking at Miambas. <laughs> That's cool. Hey, welcome to Past Gas, everybody. My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by Joe Weber. Get me out. <laughs> and Zachary Job. Yellow. Uh, Zach is filling in for James this week. Zach, one of our resident Mazda Miata experts, if you watch the YouTube channel, you know Zach spent a lot of time in his garage working on our Mazda Miata, the money pit. Job, what are your impressions of the Mazda Miata? Well, it's a very fun car. Uh, you know, the the legend is true. All the hype is real. Um, Miata is always the answer. They're great cars. They're a lot of fun, especially when you turbocharge them. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first time I drove one was in 2016, I want to say. My buddy had just bought one, and he didn't know how to drive stick. So I, mm. I got to drive it back to his house. Nice. From, oh, that's cool. I want to say like Culver City. That happens a lot more than you'd think. Like my friend bought a VW bus and was like, hey, I'm going to need someone to drive with me to Palm Springs so they can drive this van back. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. It's yeah. okay. But it's just so weird to me that you would buy a car without driving it first, you know? Hey, don't let anything hold you back. Yeah. <laughs> Follow your dreams. Follow your dreams. Buy a stick shift car, even if you don't know how to drive. You'll yeah. figure it out. You'll it's learn. okay. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was an NB. I love the NB Miata, the second generation. Looks mm. like a little baby mm -hmm. Dodge Viper. Yep, yeah. Eddie had one of those. Eddie had one of those. Eddie, one of our... Uh, our Director of Money Pit. Yeah. Uh, one of the OGs, big-time Miata guy. We did another Money Pit where he lifted uh, Eddie's Miata, That's put right. on some off-road tires. We also did a head gasket on it in his driveway. That's right. Our coworker Jimmy has like a bunch of Miatas or has had a bunch of Miatas. Mm -hmm. He's so into They're them. Special. The Miata is very special in the donut family, I think. It's one the of those Cannon. special cars. Yeah, the donut cannon. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Very special car. Uh, donut cannon would be tight to bring to like one of our sh live shows and uh, just shoot donuts out of it. Uh, donuts oh, yeah. and merch at the same Just like oh, yeah. <laughs> 70 pounds of t shirts yeah. like, just firing <laughs> out of there at once. Yeah, uh, like a buff horse. Shirt hits you in the head. And yeah. Then shortly after, like a jelly glaze. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I feel like I'm kind of too big for the Miata these days. Uh, uh -huh. I, I got in the money pit a couple weeks ago, and yeah. like my head is above the the windshield. Yeah. Not a co comfortable feeling. Yeah. Got a long torso. <laughs> long torso. Short legs. Tiny legs. <laughs> shorter legs. Long torso. He looks like uh like two six year olds stacked up on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you can get a uh, torso shortening. Uh, procedure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, oh, you I, I've wouldn't go the other way and get your legs lengthened? No, 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 no. You want to be able to drive a Miata. Yeah. Uh, I've looked into it. It's very expensive and insurance doesn't what? cover it because it's considered a cosmetic procedure. So yeah. it's really too bad. Um, that's what Marilyn Manson I was just going to say that. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get insurance to cover the rib <laughs> removal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's a throwback <laughs> joke. Um, I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah. That. That was... All right, let's get into the history of the Mazda Miata. In order to know how Mazda built the Miata, you need to know about a man named Bob Hall. Bob Hall is <laughs> <laughs> one of the world's great passionate car nerds. And lucky for us, he's also very persistent. If he wasn't, this car may have never seen the light of the day. Bob Hall was born in Los Angeles in 1953, along with his identical twin brother, Jim. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> the twins had a good upbringing under the care of their father, Mitchell. Mitchell himself had developed an appreciation for imported vehicles during his time as a B-25 bomber during World War II and passed on his love for automobiles to his boys. Guys, we all know the B-25. Yeah. Yeah. They do that song, Love Shack. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Hall is it B-52? No, that came along a lot later. Okay. Yeah. Hall then my joke still stands. <laughs> Hall family lore says that Bob's dad, Mitchell, I feel like the B-25 was also called the Mitchell. Really? Hmm. And Mitchell is close to Mitch Hall. I was thinking that. Whoa. <laughs> it's kind of a redundant Weird. name. B-25 bomber. It is a Mitchell. Whoa. Whoa. Interesting. Oh, I the see. plot thickens. <laughs> Follow the money on this one. <laughs> anyway, Hall family lore says that Bob's dad, Mitchell, was idling on a stoplight behind the wheel of his Morris Minor convertible when the driver next to him in a red MGTD asked if they could swap permanently. What? Mm. The TD driver's wife had told the driver that he couldn't come home until he came back with a respectable family car. <laughs> what a coincidence. Even though Mitchell Hall also had a family at home, he figured he couldn't pass up the opportunity. And the boys loved that MGTD. MG, a British company, British mm -hmm. Roadster. Yeah, this mm -hmm. was uh, this TD is a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. It's not the tiny MG that... No, but they're still I'm pretty small. My, uh, uh, my uncle actually had a TD and a TF. 
Whoa. Um, they're still pretty small, but they do look bigger. But they're in reality yeah. tiny. This looks like um, you know, it looks like an old timey uh, Great Gatsby car. Yeah, but like it's a small little sports car. Your head would stick out way above that oh, yeah, way windshield. Out. Yeah, way out. Because you're on account of your long torso. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to get the torso deleted in totality. <laughs> Legs and head. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because Mitchell during the war got his torso deleted by a cannonball. Whoa! <laughs> no, before <laughs> <By> a cannonball. <laughs> Before the Hall boys, Bob and Jim had even started elementary school, Mitchell Hall had his son sitting on his lap, driving the TD around parking lots. Eventually, Mitchell upgraded to a Triumph TR2, then to an Austin Healey 106, and finally a 1966 Healey 3000 Mark III. That's a lot of numbers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Bob and Jim were always excited to see what their dad would bring home next. I want to be a dad like that. Mm -hmm. Just irresponsibly yeah. <laughs> bringing home cars all the time. As they got older, Bob and his brother started frequenting the tracks of Santa Barbara, Riverside, and Willow Springs to see even sportier cars in action. I did not know that Santa Barbara had a track. That's kind of cool. It's probably long gone now. Together, they learned as much as they could about the cars at the tracks. The Hall twins had all but committed their lives to the automotive world before they even got their high school diplomas. Mm. Yeah, that... The Santa Barbara track is now uh, Levi's store. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And that Levi's store is now a Halloween. Uh, <laughs> Spirit, <laughs> Spirit Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> no, Levi's is doing no, great. Good. <laughs> Dude, I know. I went I went into a Levi's at the Century City Mall a couple months ago. Yeah. And they're, like, really cool now. They're doing raw denim now, which Ooh, is. Ooh, some salvage like, yeah. raw denim. Mm -hmm. You don't even wash it for, like, a year. Mm. Your jeans just smell like a butt. Your legs yeah. turn blue. <laughs> Your legs turn blue. <laughs> but, you know, that's how you get the a unique wear on them, Joe. Yeah, and people yeah. will notice. Yeah. yeah. You got to put them in the freezer to clean them because <laughs> it kills the germs Yuck. from your butt. <laughs> you could wash them. No, but then you don't. Oh, right. The Sorry. dye comes out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most convenient piece of clothing ever. <laughs> After high school, I can't even fit more frozen pizzas in my freezer because my jeans are taking up so much space <laughs> that doesn't that works for the amount of time it takes for the jeans to thaw out it's <laughs> have you ever done that no where actually. it's like they're like if your jeans are stinky throw them in the freezer and then they just are cold for a while so they smell less uh -huh. you take them out and they heat them back up yeah and your, stink comes your back ass they thaw out and that water the ice crystals melt and yeah. then yeah, you get And they like, smell like garlic bread. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. After high school, Bob Hall took a trip that changed his life. It was on mushrooms, baby. <laughs> um, on an exchange student program, Bob was sent to Japan for six weeks and consequently fell in love with Japanese culture. When he came back to Los Angeles, Bob kept up his study of the Japanese language by reading manga with an English-Japanese translation dictionary in hand and would visit the Little Tokyo District to see Japanese movies. That's cool. And, of course, Bob's love of cars and Japanese culture naturally turned into a love of Japanese cars, and he mm. quickly became obsessed. He knew that he wanted to get back to Japan as soon as possible. So that's a familiar story, I think. Bob Hall's a cool guy so Bob far. Hall's a cool guy. Yeah. yeah. It seems like he was ahead of his time as far as... Yeah, that. I think so. That's pretty common. I mean, 
I feel like I've met a ton of people that have do the same thing these days. I mean, Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy's. I mean, Job is going to Japan in a couple months. That's true. Actually, just over one month. End wow. of next month. Can't wait. Nice. nice. Maybe it'll be the beginning of a new roadster. Are you going to go to one of those robot bars? I hope so, but I don't. I don't know. You gotta. You gotta. You gotta do it. Bob's deep knowledge of everything car-related landed him a job as a junior reporter at Motor Trend by his early 20s. But his attitude was anything but junior. Bob read a Motor Trend story about Japanese cars written by a senior writer riddled with inaccuracies. How could a reputable car magazine be so wrong? At a trade show, Bob Hall said as much to his boss's boss's boss, Motor Trend's editor. It was hard to argue with Bob's dogged tirade. <laughs> The editor challenged Bob to write a better story, so Bob set to it. He practically turned in a whole volume and entirely rewrote the original story. Motor Trend's editor was so impressed he promoted Bob to staff writer. Still not 25, Bob was Motor Trend's foremost Japanese car expert, and he had fulfilled his teenage dream of getting access to Japan. That's super cool. Nice. That is awesome. That's See that? A, Follow your dreams, guys. That's grind set mentality right there. <laughs> yep. Yep, the pioneer of grind set, Bob Hall. <laughs> not, not that beta <laughs> <laughs> One of Bob's favorite Japanese car makers was Mazda. On a mid-70s trip to Japan for Motor Trend, Bob got the chance to meet one of the lead engineers, Kenichi Yamamoto. And here's where it's important to know some background on Mazda and how truly fascinating Kenichi Yamamoto really was. Let's hear it, Joe. I'm about to lay it on you. Hold tight. <laughs> Hold on to your raw denim. It <laughs> hurts. It's so stiff. Oh, it's tight. There's no stretch thawing fibers out. in this at all. The stink is coming oh, back. I sized up, but it still wasn't enough. There's a pizza in here. My blood pressure is so high because oh, my legs are being squeezed so much. Mazda started my out. My eyes are going to explode <laughs> if I bend over. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Mazda started out in the 1920s as a cork manufacturing company known as Toyo Kogyo, but their founder, Jujiro Matsuda, had an interest in expanding into transportation. Hmm. In <laughs> hey, we keep liquid in bottles pretty good. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we could do cars. <laughs> yeah, let's do it, dude. Yeah, what about cork wheels? How you guys feel about that? <laughs> cork seats. <laughs> In 1931, Toyo Kogyo... cork seats would actually be pretty, pretty tight. <laughs> could be. I mean, I could see some, some cork in the interior, but I don't know about cork just seats. Just a ton of bugs cork just crawling around in with there. with a small air of foam and then yeah. fabric on it would be great. Could be good. I think we've busted this thing wide open. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how Mazda didn't see this. <laughs> how they didn't make the, the connection. In 1931, Toyo Kogyo released their first vehicle a tricycle truck called the Mazda Go. The name Mazda comes from the Persian god Ahura Mazda, who represents wisdom and harmony among people. Oh, well, wow. It's not a Japanese word at all. Uh-uh. Based in Hiroshima, Japan, Toyo Kogyo was heavily affected by the events of World War II and the aftermath of the atomic bomb. The factory became a makeshift hospital in town for Hiroshima, but still produced its three-wheelers. This time period really encapsulated Mazda's central principle. They were a company dedicated to serving as a beacon of peace and wisdom. Wow. And yeah, I mean, letting their, uh, letting their place be used as a hospital, that, that's pretty nice. Yeah. This is when Kenichi Yamamoto joined Mazda. A family man and a smart, hard worker, Kenichi was born in 1922 and grew up in Hiroshima with his parents and sister. 
He showed flashes of brilliance as a child and was able to go to Tokyo Imperial University and earn a degree in mechanical engineering. Like many young men during the 1940s, he joined the Japanese Navy during World War II. Sadly, Kenichi's family home was destroyed during the atomic bombing of Hiroshima. Though Kenichi's parents survived, his sister was killed. Devastated at the loss, Kenichi returned to his hometown to support his parents and found work as an engineer at the Mazda plant. Wow. In his mid-20s, Kenichi started on the factory line, manufacturing transmissions, but this didn't satisfy him. He sought out the plans for the transmissions and checked their tolerances himself. Whoa. His curiosity and his diligence led management to promote Kenichi to work on the rotary engine, a machine the company couldn't yet crack. His coworkers hate him. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> you know what, give him that job we can't figure out. Yeah. If Mazda didn't figure out the rotary engine, they would have been forced to merge with an overseas company. And of course, it was also a matter of pride. Mazda wanted to prove that they were a strong, reputable, and enduring company. It took six years, but Kenichi and his team figured it out. The two-rotor rotary engine debuted in the 1960s inside the stylish and futuristic Mazda Cosmo. The company was saved for now. <laughs> I remember I had a Mazda Cosmo in Gran Turismo 4. It's a very good car because you could upgrade it really well. Um, yeah, of course, Mazda didn't invent the rotary engine. That had been around for a long time. Yeah, uh, the Wankel. The Wankel rotary. Wankel guy. Wankel yeah. guy. Uh but they looked at it and said, hey, this could actually, this could be something. Yeah. I think Cosmo is like, a real cutie. There's I love one Cosmo. other car company. I think they're like a Soviet or East German car company. That was using rotaries? It's like NS something. Um, anyway. Yeah, I mean, tough nut to crack. When everybody's using one style of engine yeah. and there's another design out there and you're the ones trying to break it like, or make it happen. Yeah, it's like everybody's wearing regular pants and you and you're wearing got raw denim. Yeah. Raw denim. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't make any sense, but by God, yeah, we're gonna make like, it work. Yeah. We gotta figure out a way to put another pant leg on this. <laughs> <laughs> but Mazda's rotary engine's fatal flaw, poor fuel economy, was revealed during the 1970s. During the gas crisis, Mazda sales tanked, and the company was close to bankruptcy. Kenichi was once again asked to help save the company. He was pressured to ditch the rotary engine altogether, but dang it, he refused. I'll never do it. No. I'll never do it. You can't take my <laughs> wankle. Dude, Keiichi sounds like John Wick a little bit. A little bit, yeah. That's a yeah. good point. It would have announced to the world that what we had started doing was not good, Kenichi said in an interview, and then we wouldn't have been able to succeed at anything. But Kenichi's tenacity and innovation helped Mazda succeed. His team overhauled the engine, and they were able to resuscitate sales of the rotary-powered RX-7 in the States. Hmm tricky market the pointy boy yeah the first one mm -hmm. it's yeah. just a bunch of people like huddle around a deconstructed 13b and then someone puts like an apex seal on and they're like oh, oh. <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas but right now a word from our sponsors by the time bob hall met kenichi yamamoto in 1976 kenichi had lived a whole life at Mazda, and Bob was just starting his professional one. But despite their 30-year age difference, the two hit it off. Similarly enthusiastic and determined car nerds, Bob and Kenichi had complementary sensibilities and a passion for the craft. In 1978, as the new West Coast editor for Auto Week magazine, Bob went on another one of his Trans-Pacific journeys. It was on this trip that Kenichi, now the head of R&D for Mazda, would ask Bob a fateful question. 
what should we make next? That's crazy that that ever happened. Yeah. That means that we could eventually oh, yeah, influence dude. the building of a car at some point, right? Yeah. Mm. Get me in at Mitsubishi. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to be asked that question. <laughs> yeah, and he went on to design the first three-wheel Daewoo. <laughs> in some ways, Bob was waiting his whole life to be asked this question, and Kenichi had simply opened the door for him. The young editor even hopped out of his chair to draw a blueprint of his idea on a blackboard. This guy's extra. Mm-hmm. Inspired by the joy rides he took with his dad, Mitchell Hall, Mitch Hall, Bob recalls his answer. Quote, I shifted into overdrive. I babbled at 70 miles per hour in a trans-Pacific hodgepodge of English and Japanese how the RX-7 is a neat car, an A-plus sports car. But the simple bugs-in-the-teeth, wind-in-the-hair, classically British sports car doesn't exist anymore. I told Mr. Yamamoto that someone should build one. He put on his poker face, so I had no idea whether or not the idea was sinking in. It wasn't unusual for Kenichi to ask someone their opinion on Mazda's future. Journalist Don Sherman recalled Kenichi's welcoming effect. Quote, he'd greet you like a long-lost friend, and he'd ask you basic questions like, What's a, what should Mazda do? Where should Mazda go? Do you think there's any place for cork yeah. in this car? <laughs> do you think Zoom Zoom is a good marketing company? <laughs> Should have a little kid wearing a suit. <laughs> but Bob's answer was unusual, mostly because this ideal British roadster, particularly something affordable, was basically dead. Still, Kenichi took a photo of the drawing to memorialize it, but didn't give any of his thoughts away. The two retired for the evening. After Bob's trip to Japan, he couldn't get this idea out of his head, the affordable roadster. In the late 70s, the heyday of sports cars was at an end. Fun to drive and affordable roadsters like the Lotus Elan or the MGB Roadster were being discontinued or stripped of their engine power in the name of fuel economy and safety. Even though Mazda just launched the RX-7 with its coupe and convertible models, it was expensive and much more reminiscent of a Porsche than a Roadster. It is ironic that the British Roadster is such a... a, a not a cliche, but an icon because it rains a lot. It's in true. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense yeah, when you think about it. Not a lot of sunshine like over there. And yeah. you want to know what? I am a Miata guy, but I also own a 1979 MG Midget. What? What? Yep. It's in my mom's garage in Ohio. Oh, wow. I learn something new about Job every day, and I become more envious with you're, each factoid. You're like an onion. onion. What? Shrek. <laughs> Dude, I'm, are we on the same page or are we on the same page? It seems today? like we're on the same uh, page. Oh, wow. <laughs> Bob thought there had to be a way to keep his favorite childhood car alive. Roadsters were the rides that made him fall in love with cars in the first place, and he couldn't bear to see them fade into obscurity or be reserved for the wealthy. And soon, he'd get a chance to make it happen himself. In 1981, 28-year-old Bob's dream of working for Mazda became a reality. He was hired to work at Mazda North America, MANA, in their product planning and research department in Southern California. Whoa. Though he was brought in to work on the B-Series pickup, a surprise visit by his old friend Kenichi Yamamoto reignited Bob's main passion. You know what's weird is, uh, this is going to sound really nerdy, unless you're a huge baseball fan. Mazda is the U Darvish. Oh, yeah, U Darvish. He's he's, uh, Iranian Japanese, and he broke into the American market. Mm. And he plays for a California team. Mm. Ah, he's a he's a baseball player. I take it. Yeah, yeah. He's mm. really six foot five. Throws 
99. You Darvish is a fun name. Yes. When going over the team's progress, Kenichi looked at Bob and said, hey, what about your lightweight sports car? Why don't you study that? Bob didn't need more than that. <laughs> I bet a supervisor like that where it's like, <laughs> hey, we got Bob work. He's really helping out on this truck design. And the boss comes in, hey, how about you uh, go do something yeah. else? <laughs> yeah, you know where I want you? Over here. <laughs> Bob didn't need more than that. He dug right in, creating a multi-page manifesto <laughs> entitled, What is a Sports Car to an American? That had a central thesis. Sports cars must have a degree of performance, but more importantly, they must be fun to drive. Bob determined that didn't mean the car had to have crazy specs or go 0 to 60 in 8.5 seconds, which used to be fast, but it had to feel that way, and it had to look cool. <laughs> With his manifesto in hand, he went down to the mail room and got to work. <laughs> Wait, how, like, what's stock Miata 0 to 60? 8.8. Hey! Uh, yeah, it doesn't have to go 8.5. You can go 8.8. <laughs> It'll be fine. Bob proposed recycling existing components Mazda had already designed as a cost-saving measure. They could give their new car a four-cylinder engine, rear axle, and manual transmission. But Bob was adamant that it be a front-engine, rear-wheel drive setup. Otherwise, it wouldn't be true to its British Roadster roots. Bob's essay made waves with the Japanese company men at Mazda, but the go-ahead to start developing the car had not yet been given. That wouldn't happen until two engineers in the experimental department got their boss, Kenichi Yamamoto, to take a business trip to Tokyo. And they convinced him to drive a British roadster, the Triumph Spitfire, through the mountains instead of wasting away in traffic. Feeling the wind in his hair and taking turns through the mountain roads, Kenichi caught the roadster bug. And he knew Mazda needed to have one of these cars. In 1983, Kenichi handed his directive to the general manager of product planning in Japan, one Mishinori Yamanuchi. Kenichi wanted the lightweight sports car that so many within the company were clamoring for, and Kenichi had now experienced. The next question was, what to build? Bob Hall had submitted his idealized proposal, but that wasn't a plan, and multiple teams in Japan also had their ideas about what kind of roadster Mazda should build. Yamanuchi devised a contest between the Japanese and North American studios to decide the build, and Bob Hall couldn't be happier. There was only one problem. Bob Hall was an enthusiast. Uh-oh. Ah. And though he was maybe one of the most enthusiastic enthusiasts <laughs> there ever was, he didn't have the design pedigree needed to tackle this task. The man did not go to engineering school. Hey, this guy is just Jimmy. <laughs> the LWS, or lightweight sports car, became Mana's top priority, and assembling the right team became paramount. Mark Jordan became Bob's first Mark. Mark was a high-pedigree designer who had worked at GM and was busy toiling away at Opel, one of uh, GM's European subsidiaries. And then they got Chris Pippin. <laughs> Mark was trying to get his superiors to resurrect the Roadster. That is, until Bob convinced him to join Mazda. Knowing that the project was in motion, Mark hopped over. So he's, over, he's already at General Motors trying to get a, a Roadster going. And the uh, GM saying, nah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Mana team also needed an operations man and brought in Sutomu Tom Matano. At 35, Tom had worked at BMW and Oldsmobile, but wasn't satisfied with the projects he had been assigned. Bob called him up and said, hey, you can run the whole studio. The decision was easy. The Irvine wing had their team. Now, it was time to get to work. Dude, they're doing this in Orange County. 
It's true. It's crazy, right? Not too yeah. far from here. That's yeah. where a lot of uh, manufacturers are based nowadays, too. They're got- designing cars in the daytime, then getting some bomb-ass Vietnamese food for dinner, <laughs> and then going to the Angels game. And then maybe going down, what's that called? The Presidium? Or the there's that big, uh, big old mall over there. The Citadel. Mm. Not the Presidium. That's from Mass Effect. <laughs> Um, yeah, Eddie's nodding his head over there. Uh, yeah, so Mazda is still down there. We've been there. That's where that Mazda or that Miata show was at. Toyota's got a campus there too. That's where your sister works. Oh yeah, that's right. And Nissan Nissan is like pretty close to San Diego. Yeah. But yeah, lots of, uh, car manufacturers down there in the OC, bro. Don't say that. What? Why not? Copyright issues. I was thinking about this yesterday real quick. Sorry. Quick diversion. I was thinking about how the Scion ads in like the early 2000s, that was like one of the only advertising campaigns for cars that showed customized cars rather than the stock versions. Hmm. You know what I mean? I don't like, remember that was the their Scion whole, ads. That, that was, was their the whole, whole thing though. Yeah. yeah. And then people just customize them to fit old people better. <laughs> well, the XB was very easy to get in and out of yeah. for old people. So kind of backfired a little bit, but, you know, that's how it goes. Anyway, sorry. Can you put more handles on it? <laughs> <laughs> Sticking to Bob's original ethos of a sports car, it must be fun to drive, and his central layout, front engine, rear-wheel drive, the team turned next to their original inspiration. Tom Matano later said, We were looking for the simplicity of the era, say the 60s. We want to get back to a relationship between car and driver that simply brings fun to the driver. At a time when British sports cars had all gone, due to either safety rules or emissions rules or so forth, the fun element was really disappearing out of the market. And again, another urge was to provide the type of car that we loved when we were younger. We thought a small sports car with a convertible top has to have a place in the future as it had in the past. But the Japanese teams had their marching orders too and developed two different designs, a mid-engine rear-wheel drive coupe inspired by the Pontiac Fiero inspired by the Pontiac Fiero and Toyota MR2, and the easier-to-develop yet market-saturated front-engine front-wheel drive model. Hmm. Dude, a rear-engine Miata would have been sick. Yeah, that would have been crazy. It's kind of what an MR2 is. Yeah. Just from Toyota. In April 1984, it was time for the competitors to show off their stuff. Bob (laughs) Hall and the Irvine team flew out to Japan to present their case and see what their competition had cooked up, and it was not looking good for Bob. Uh Oh. The judging panel was drawn more to the proven design of the front-engine, front-wheel car and the emerging mid-engine model. Mm. The panel thought Bob's designs, on the other hand, were old-fashioned. Even though, as Bob would argue, that was kind of the whole point. After having championed this lightweight sports car from the beginning, Bob Hall's dream of designing the Mazda Roadster was dead. Almost. Even though the panel was sold on the Japanese team's development, they thought it good sportsmanship to give the Irvine team a go at a full-scale model. Hmm. The Japanese and American designers would have five months to prepare full-scale models and could return to present their ideas. Uh, hi. I'm gonna need a lot of clay. That's when Mazda would choose their direction. There was still some light left for Bob Hall. Back in the States, Bob and his team got to work. If the panel thought the design was too old, then they'd try to incorporate some modernity into their new model. The idea they settled on was the Duo 101. They'd add a removable hardtop to their model, giving it the feel of both an LWS, lightweight sports car, and a coupe, all in one. Hmm. Bob and crew spent all five months cooking up this model. You know, come to think of it, they were kind of on the cutting edge of this, like, retro-futurist 
mm-hmm. wave that kind of started yeah. with like first, I guess the Viper and then like the Prowler and then yeah, Prowler's uh, New one. Beetle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were a little bit ahead of that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. As promised, they returned to the Mazda headquarters in September with their clay model in tow. That would be tough to ship. Presented next to the other models, Bob realized they all had two-door models painted in the same red color. He feared their newly revamped model wouldn't stand out, but they had one more trick up their raw denim sleeve. (laughs) After giving their complete presentation, Bob walked over to their model and removed the hard top from it, showing the panel the true possibilities of the duo. I thought they were going to say, Bob had just watched the Smurfs (laughs) and really liked the blue. (laughs) And thus, Mariner Blue was born. The panelists leaned forward. The vibe in the room had shifted. Whoa. The last place American entry had just literally blown the top off the competition. My life. Did that roof just come off? Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) That's like when James Cameron supposedly... uh, uh, was in the meeting for the, oh. the Fox meeting <laughs> yeah. for the Alien sequel, that, and he yeah. drew an S and then put two lines. Yeah, and they all stood aliens. up and started clapping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we like money. <laughs> you sold us. Oh, man, that's funny. <laughs> I've got it. <laughs> no, that was, he definitely planned that. And he did that with Terminator 2. <laughs> yeah. What is Sterminator? Oh, it's the money oh. <laughs> I guess it only worked once. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. After Mana's presentation, Bob Hall's winning design went into development. Over the next five years, Mazda and Bob Hall would put the car into production and get it ready to premiere as soon as possible. And in early 1989, over a decade removed from Bob's first pitch for a Japanese-designed British roadster, plus a decade of hard work, time was nigh. The MX-5 Miata premiered at the Chicago Auto Show in February 1989 to rave reception. Journalists and drivers alike praised the car's tuning, the way the steering handled, and of course, the sheer fun of it. Hmm. Check. <laughs> Check, please. Bob Hall sat in the wings like the freaking Phantom of the Opera at a Mazda dealer during an uh, event in Nashville later that month. The audience gave the car a standing ovation. Bob had tears in his eyes. Oh. Jim. Bob's twin brother, who also devoted his life to working in the automotive industry, had to admit that his brother had a winner. You got me on this one. (laughs) You don't normally get Jim, but God, Bob. (laughs) At the time of the Miata's release. Yeah, I wonder which one was born first and if they like held that over their head. You know, some twins will do that. Yeah. It's like, I'm actually the older one. I'm. (laughs) But Jim was busy designing the Saturn Sky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At the time of the Miata's release, Jim was working as an assistant product engineering manager for GM. When asked about his brother's success by People magazine, he couldn't help but to admit defeat to his sibling. Quote, now I have to worry about a wife who wants to buy a Miata. (laughs) What? Well, first I got to buy a wife. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) Interesting quote. People magazine was talking to car engineers? That's That's weird. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh. I would expect that from Parade, but... (laughs) (laughs) 
Motor Trend called the Miata the best sports car buy in America. Road and Track called it one of the five best cars in the world. And after the cars released in the States, Miata owners reported strangers asking them for test drives. That's kind of sick, actually. That's, that is awesome. That brings people together. That's weird, though. Like, hey, can I drive your car? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could be in it, too. <laughs> As Miata Madness swept the country, Bob Hall basked in his success. His belief in the power of the car that had made him an autoholic in the first place had been vindicated. Bob later recalled a run-in with Kenichi Yamamoto, his co-conspirator and now president of Whoa, Mazda. What a come up. Quote, about a year after it launched, when the car was in huge demand, Kenichi came up to me and said, Bob-san, MX-5 is your ikigai moment. It's a Japanese term for the thing that you do in life that validates your existence. I'm kind of happy with that. <laughs> I had an icky guy moment when I smelled my raw denim the other day. <laughs> I haven't washed it in six months. Well, I mean, that's how you get the, the wear, dude. Mm. That's how you break them in. Since its release in 1989, the Miata has become a cult classic. Travis Aluski, an editor at Road and & Track and one of the most vocal Miata fans online today, summed up the Miata driving experience to Mel Magazine. It communicates with you. The way the steering feels, with every imperfection on the road coming through your hands, it makes you want to drive. That feeling is the perfect encapsulation of the Japanese phrase, Jinba Itai, mm -hmm. which means unity between a horse and its rider. Ah. Mazda used Jinba Itai as a guiding principle when building the Miata, and it's clearly shown through. Yeah, yeah. Not to talk about James Cameron again, but... Mm. That scene in Avatar when they connect their braids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's a real Jimba Itai moment yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> Great point, Joe. Dang, Thank you. dude. It's all coming to the, the denim, <laughs> James Cameron, 1989, 1989, Taylor <laughs> Swift. All the money. All the money, dude. Okay. Okay. Sterminator. <laughs> <laughs> Another enduring characteristic of the Miata is that it's not only fun to drive, but it does so without the crazy power you see on a supercharged sports car. By 2004, cars were getting so fast you couldn't have any fun on the road, Aluski told Mel Magazine. You hit second or third gear and you're going at speeds that will get you arrested. That's not the case with the Miata. You can't even get arrested in sixth gear. It doesn't even have one. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> the car emphasizes fun over numbers, which I find really important. And that's just on the base models. The aftermarket scene for Miatas is huge. Oh, yeah. Big huge. time. Huge. Huge. There's something for everyone with a Miata, whether you're making cosmetic adjustments or performance tweaks. It's a great car for anyone to work on, from hobbyists to weekend track drivers. Yeah, yeah dude. Couldn't agree more. Very easy car to learn to work on cars on. Uh, it's just a little toy car. In 2016, the Miata crossed the 1 million units produced mark. It already holds the Guinness World Record title for best-selling open-top two-seater sports car of all time. Miata's ethos of affordable and fun to drive are part of what makes it so important to car enthusiasts and everyday consumers alike. And hopefully, it stays that way. That's how Bob Hall wants it. When asked about the Miata, when asked about the Miata, when asked about how the Miata has changed since its initial release, Bob responded, quote, hugely, and at the same time, not at all. When asked about how the Miata has changed since its initial release, Bob responded, quote, hugely, and at the same time, not at all. What's the same is the MX-5 is still pretty much the only game in town as regards to an affordable two-seat sports car, just like it was in 1989. And you know what? That's pretty accurate. Except for, there, I mean, there's the Miata, and there's, like, 
the BRZ GR86. Mm. Yeah. And Does that have a back seat, though? Those do have a back mm-hmm. seat. But I'm saying two-seat sports car. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that is like the only two-seat. The GR has a back seat, but it's really more for just like throwing a backpack in there or something. There's no way like a child would have a hard time fitting in the back there. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, that's a totally different car. It is a different car, yeah. but man, I love the Miata. Oh, yeah. What a story. Great story. Yeah. And now? Do you think I should get an NB or an NC? I heard NCs are on the RX-8 platform and they're a little bit bigger. I mean, I would say NB. Yeah. They are a little bigger, but also I'm going to say NCs are also hugely slept on. Like They are slept on. Everybody kind of hates them. Yeah. Mm. And for that reason, I think you'll be able to find an NC with a lot lower miles. It's newer, so it's got like more kind of conveniences. They only made uh, it for like two years though, right? Uh, They made it for a short time, but dude, I, I like the NBs that you're going to find for like your price range, yeah. I think, are going to be in much worse shape than an NC wow, at dude. that same price. That is I'm serious. probably true. Yeah. Because you only have a hundred bucks, you only got a hundred bucks, dude. So well, um, I'm mad. No, you probably could get it's a really true, nice But I'm mad at you for calling I'm not, me out for being a poor. I'm not saying poor. that. I'm saying like you're not gonna go out and try to spend twenty thousand dollars on like a pristine NB. You're no. gonna your budget's probably like what, like ten thousand dollars. Wow, dude. <laughs> That's my <laughs> shut up. It's six thousand. <laughs> Whatever it is, you're gonna find a better shape NC. I don't know. It's your that choice. That is all probably true. Uh, if you don't mind the looks of the NC, yeah, you should. Get I think NC. Yeah, I, really I think a lowered NC, those look really good. Yeah, they um, definitely can. Yeah. I've seen I've seen some good looking NCs. Yeah, yeah. I've also we seen some bad ones. We got some listener fan mail. Oh yes, uh, we do. This is from Jacob from Halifax in Nova Scotia. Oh, Nova Scotia. Mm. Huge fan of the show channel and DRS as well. Thank you. I find myself in a strange position with my love for cars, and I wonder if you guys ever have the same thoughts. Oh, where's this going? On one hand, I'm a huge lifelong car nerd. I love cars and car culture, and few things make me happier than working on my box rabbit. Mm-hmm. That's cool you got a rabbit. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I'm a pretty big hippie and acknowledge the many negative aspects of car-centric city planning, emissions, and pedestrian safety. Mm-hmm. This guy is uh, subscribed to cars on Reddit for sure. <laughs> so am I. Do you guys ever feel that dense urban cities would be much friendlier if they were less car friendly and more restrictive to passenger vehicles? If so, how does this mesh with your love of cars? Uh, on another note, I bought up. Uh, on another note, I bought the pop-up headlights hoodie, and it's dope, but way too thin for Canadians. Oh. Can you do a Canadian edition? Oh, can maybe with triple fat goose feathers in there? <laughs> uh, that's for that's a nice thick boy to keep my bones warmer. Thanks for reading, Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. I th- look. We live in L.A., but over the past in the past couple of years, I've been to Chicago like eight times, and a city that has like truly good public transportation yeah. is so much. E- like I'd love. I love Chicago for that reason. It's so easy to get anywhere. You do not need a car. Uh, and the I could trains see, are great. The trains are great. The bus system is awesome. Like, I could see myself living in a place like that. I think it can be hard to kind of kind of reconcile, like, the, the climate reality that we live in and also being, like, a car person. But how I think of it is, like, if I had an option to take public transit to work every day in a that didn't take two hours yeah. like it does now, like from where I live to our office, I would do that instead of driving every day. I hate sitting in traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the driving that all of us like and would like to do all the time mm-hmm. is like 
fun canyon driving. Yeah. yeah. Cruising but not, outside of the city. But every time I'm crawling in traffic, uh, especially since I started working for Donut, I'm like, this is the dumbest. Like, everyone's in this 10, 10 by 10 bubble that's run by explosions, yeah. and we're all crawling along. Mm -hmm. Like, how dumb is that? I was thinking sense. about that the other day. I was like, okay, in like 100 years, are people going to see pictures of traffic and be like, that is the dumbest thing yes. that's yeah, ever definitely. happened? It's just because it's normalized now that we don't think about it. But like, if you've ever seen the, that picture of like yeah. what 50 cars look like with one driver in them, yeah. then what a uh, bus looks like with 50 people yeah, on it, yeah. it's like, this is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I think it just depends on the city, man. Like LA, the geography, the excuse that's given for not having good public transit here is that the geography, it's too big. Like it would cost too much to build good a good train system. No. It's like, yo, dude, yeah. we're also building like huge stadiums everywhere. It, like, there's two stadiums yeah. that have been built near our office, like that cost probably more than a billion dollars each. It, would it cost a lot of money? Yes, but the short term cost would have such long term benefits. Yes, I just don't buy that argument. No. Would it, it would take look. There would be probably a lot of eminent domain that would have to take place. No, I mean LA. You, you build underground. Underground though, and the thing is, we've been trying to build. Uh, purple line, a um, uh, light rail to from the valley, right? From to from downtown to Beverly Hills to Santa Monica. Yeah, and rich people in Beverly Hills have been fighting it tooth yeah. and nail for the last ten years. Yeah, and that's an underground system. And it's stupid. They have their kids standing outside of build sites protesting. What? Because they think it's dangerous that they're digging under a school. Yeah. Oh my god! So it's just ridiculous. I've never I've been bought that argument. Petitioning for zip lines. Yes. Zip lines. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because like. We could put us uh, on a skyscraper downtown, exactly, all the to way down to Santa anywhere. Monica, yeah. and you're just cruising along. <gasps> and then, like, when you need to get off at uh, Fairfax or La Cienega, you just, you let, just go. let go, yep. and there's like a big airbag there. Exactly, yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, so anyway, I'm I'm going to Europe later this year. I'm really looking forward to seeing how like uh, France and uh, Spain do their public transit. Yeah. Anyway, this is um, so yeah, uh, public transit is good and. If there's less cars on the road, that means less traffic, and that yeah. means more fun driving for us. So it is as a car person, it is kind of like tearing me apart, though. Yeah, I definitely. love cars. I, I I wonder how to incentivize people to take public public transport in places that it is more prevalent. You know, yeah. um, just well, getting people, people over who have, the hump. Yeah, people who have good transit systems, they don't need to be incentivized at all. They all rely on it. Chicago is a great example of that. New York, another great example. It's just yeah. like that's true here in. In, I mean, the Bay Area has pretty good public transit mm -hmm. as well with their BART system. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, just Bart. L.A. Uh, I'm sorry we're focusing so much on, on L.A., but that's where we live. It's just, it's hard to, to do. Well, we also have a reputation for having the worst traffic yeah, that's out true. of most cities. Oh, on the topic of uh, his his uh, coldness, may I suggest layers? Why don't uh, you buy another hoodie? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking two <laughs> Double hoodies up, would keep baby. you warm. Get a denim, raw denim hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you for your uh, listener mail there, Jacob. If you'd like to hit us up, uh, hit up pastgas at donamita.com. Maybe we'll read your email in the air and have a little discussion afterwards about it. You wear uh, enough raw denim, you look like a Smurf <laughs> blue Miata. That's right. <laughs> Follow Zach Job. Thank yeah. you very much for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me once again. Dude, you're a treat. Yeah, follow oh, I love you guys. Love Job you too, is a man. treat. Follow Job at Zach Job on Instagram. That's me. 
me and Max just went down to Chile to check out the future of gasoline. We saw mm -hmm. some synthetic gasoline that Porsche's been making. Uh, it's very cool. We made a whole video on it, so yeah. if you want to learn more about that, go check it out on our main video. YouTube page. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun to make. Chile's a pretty place. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes if you'd like. We have another new YouTube channel now. It's called Real Mechanics Stuff. Make sure you subscribe to that. Uh, that's where we're doing like our Mechanics React kind of stuff. Uh, we're migrating that over to that channel. So go and subscribe. Big thank you to our producers this week. Gavin Kinzel, Christina Felski. And we got Eddie Esparza in the Eddie studio Esparza today. Eddie Esparza and our writer... Kyle Rabby. And also Nick Giamuso. Yeah. Getting Nick the Giamuso. shout out. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll Go see you next time. Goodbye. Moose. The Moose.